in Acts 16.25, we read this. Now, the setting here is Paul and Silas in prison because of their ministry, because of their faith in Christ and their faithful ministry. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. Our catechism says that the sixth commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. And that is indeed the way that the King James Version translates the sixth commandment as found in Exodus 20.13, Thou shalt not kill. But more, bo- more modern Bible translations have preferred the word murder instead of kill. You shall not murder, is what the ESV says. And really, either term will do. In fact, both are prone to misunderstanding and do require some explanation. Thou shalt not kill may be taken to mean that humans should never kill anything. Animals should not be killed for food, therefore, we might conclude. But we know this is not the meaning, for animals were rightly killed for food and sacrifice in the days of Moses and long before that. And thou shalt not kill may also be taken to mean that a human must never take the life of another human. And that is not true either. The rest of the law of Moses, which was written to explain and apply these Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, teaches that men may kill in self-defense. They may also kill in righteous war, and also as agents of the state in order to promote and uphold justice. And so take Genesis 9-6, for example, which says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Again, that is Genesis 9-6. That comes before the giving of the Ten Commandments and uh, the book of, of Deuteronomy, which expounds upon them, of course. But this principle runs throughout the pages of Holy Scripture. It isn't even abolished with the coming of the New Covenant or the New Testament, but it's carried over into it. Um, we see that this principle of retributive justice runs throughout the Law of Moses and is even found in the New Testament. And so, blood for blood, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, still applies. No longer is the Christian to live by this rule in the church, but still the state has this power to promote justice in this way. And so, no, you do not break the Sixth Commandment. If a violent intruder breaks into your home and threatens your family and you take his life, that is not the thing that uh, the Sixth Commandment is forbidding. And neither does uh, the the civil authority break the Sixth Commandment when they put a 
a criminal, a murderer, let's say, to death. The translation, you shall not murder, can be misunderstood also, but in other ways. I think it is a better translation. If I had to choose between the two, I, I would choose the translation, thou shalt not murder. For it does clarify that it is the unjust taking of human life that is forbidden here. But the, wor- the word murder may be interpreted too narrowly. Not only does the Sixth Commandment forbid murder, or perhaps we might say murder in the first or second degree, it also forbids carelessness, which leads to the death of another human being. Um, Using modern terms, we might refer to this as murder in the third degree or manslaughter. And so, I would say, take your pick. As you memorize the commandments, um, you may say, Thou shalt not kill when you come to the Sixth Commandment following the King James Version, or you shall not murder, following the ESV and most other modern translations. Whatever translation you choose, the important thing is that you understand what the commandment means. And that's what we're trying to do here, right? Not only memorize the Ten Commandments, but ask, what do they mean? What do they forbid? And what do they require? Our catechism is most helpful. Uh, Today we will ask, what is required in the Sixth Commandment? And the answer given by our catechism again is this. The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. This is what is required. Next week we will ask, what is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? And then we will learn, the Sixth Commandment absolutely forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly, or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. And so this pattern continues in our catechism. What does this commandment require? And then, what does this commandment forbid? Very helpful, I think. Before we consider the answer to question 73, piece by piece, I should say a word about the basis for the sixth commandment. And I will do this by asking, why are humans permitted to kill animals for food, but forbidden from taking the life of another human without just cause? Why is that distinction made? And you probably know why. Um, I should say by way of kind of a side note here, I do not believe that humans are permitted to kill animals indiscriminately. Even this they are to do with with care and with thoughtfulness. That is to say, uh, even when it comes to to animals, uh, we are not to kill them indiscriminately. That is to say, randomly, recklessly, carelessly. No, humans are to be good stewards of the created world and they are to not be brutal, not even with animals. But with that said, the question remains, why do the Scriptures forbid the taking of human life without just cause? And the answer is that man is made in God's image. There is something particularly dignified about human life, therefore. Human life is to be highly respected because the human being is the pinnacle of God's creation. The human is made in God's image, and this cannot be said of anything else in all of God's creation. It cannot even be said of the angels. Have you ever thought about that? The angels, as glorious as they are, We're not made in God's image, but man was made in the image of God. And this principle is set forth. Murder is forbidden. It's to be punished. With capital punishment, we are told in Genesis 9-6 again, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, so the reason is given, God made man in his own image. It is because man is an image bearer of God that murder is to be punished with death. And I want for you to think for just a moment how perverse our society is. In our society, murderers are often permitted to die of old age, whereas the lives of millions of unborn children 
are snuffed out in the wombs of their mothers each and every year. Our society is very perverse. This perversion is rooted in the fact that our society has forgotten that man is made in God's image. If we were to remember this truth, that man is made in the image of God, then human life would be treated with dignity at every stage. Young and old, even the unborn, would be treated with dignity. Murderers would get their just reward, and the lives of the innocent would be protected by us in this land. So what is the basis for the sixth commandment? Man is made in the image of God. And what does this commandment require? It requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. What does this word lawful mean in our catechism? It means that we are to preserve life so long as it does not require us to violate God's moral law in doing so. This can get a little tricky. And you are going to hear me say that phrase a couple more times in the remainder of this sermon. This can get a little tricky. Uh, sometimes ethics, it, it, that's, that's difficult, right? Here's what God's law says. How do we apply it? It gets tricky sometimes and complicated Is it ever right to tell a lie to preserve life? Uh, In in general, we we say no, but what about those who hid the Jews from Hitler's troops during World War II? You know, that's a a hard question. Did they do wrong when they deceived the Nazis? And, And here I will not even attempt to answer that question, but to just simply say, I pray that we will never be faced with such difficult choices. But in general, I think the principle stands. The Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. And I do appreciate that our catechism draws attention to the obligation we have to preserve our own life. We don't often think of that when we read the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill, or Thou shalt not murder. Very rarely do we think of this obligation to preserve our own life, but it is true. Human beings are made in God's image, and that means that you are made in God's image. If you could understand what I am saying right now, you are made in God's image, aren't you? Because you are a human being, you're able to understand and comprehend language. What a marvelous thing that is. You are made in God's image. Not only do you have the responsibility, therefore, to preserve the life of other image bearers, you also have the responsibility to preserve your own life. You're to treat your own life with dignity and respect because you have been made in the image of God. Christians should not live recklessly, therefore. This, too, can get a little tricky when it comes to the application. Just how cautious cautious should we be? Have you ever thought of that? You will notice that our catechism does not provide us with a detailed application, but only with the principle, and I think that is good. It's left to us to apply. I'm glad about that. The Christian should not be reckless. I think that is the principle. G.I. Williamson, in his commentary on the Westminster Larger Catechism, and by the way, both of these references, these resources are helpful. Uh, The Westminster Larger Catechism itself Uh, You know our Baptist Catechism is a Baptist version of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. But there is such thing as the Westminster Larger Catechism. There is no Baptist version of that. Um, But you can go and read the Westminster Larger Catechism and benefit greatly from it. Basically what it does is it takes all of these questions that we are here considering and it just expands upon them with with much greater uh, specificity. So, There is that, the Westminster Larger Catechism, and also there is this commentary by G.I. Williamson on it, and they're very helpful tools for the study of the Baptist Catechism. But back to my point, 
G.I. Williamson, in his commentary on the Westminster Larger Catechism, lists dueling, bullfighting, and shooting the rapids of the Niagara River in a barrel as a clear violation of the Sixth Commandment. It's interesting, right? I think those are good examples. Like, What's the point to do any of those things? They're just reckless, right? And the Christian really should not engage in that sort of reckless behavior to keep the Sixth Commandment. You're to be careful with your own life. You're, you're not to be reckless. You're made in the image of God. Um, but he admits that attempting to cross the Atlantic in a small sailboat may not be a violation. Isn't, isn't that interesting? So he, he again pulls back and says, it's hard for us to decide how exactly to, to, to apply the Sixth Commandment. Maybe there's a good reason to cross the Atlantic in a small sailboat. Very dangerous, very risky, but maybe appropriate under some circumstances, not reckless in other words. So again, let us consider the principle and then strive to apply it with wisdom. Does this mean that we as Christians should watch what we eat? Does it mean that? Probably. It probably does. But I'm not all that interested in helping you craft a meal plan, you understand, as your pastor. Um, Does this mean that you should exercise? It probably does. But again, I'll leave it to you to work that out, pun intended. Um, But if I heard, as your pastor, that you were drag racing your car on Dominagoni Parkway, I would rebuke you. I'd rebuke you for a number of reasons. You'd be breaking a civil law. And that civil law, by the way, is rooted in the Sixth Commandment here. Even if we don't recognize it, it is. And you would therefore be in a clear violation of God's moral law. You would be recklessly endangering your own life and the lives of others. Some live recklessly and deserve to be rebuked. But some, also, some do also live fearfully. Some live fearfully. And perhaps this is more of an issue in our day. And there is a delicate balance that we must strike here. We must not be reckless with our lives, but neither can we be driven by fear. Instead, we must live our lives to the fullest. This means that we must live courageously and also with wisdom to the glory of God. We cannot allow fear of sickness or death to hinder us from loving, serving, and worshiping God. Nor can we allow fear to hinder us from loving one another. We must live courageously and with wisdom to the glory of God. And I suppose this will always require us to assess risk and reward. You know? I think that's what is required here. And do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, when the world assesses risk and reward differently than we who are in Christ do. Don't be surprised when the world handles this differently than you do. For us, the sting of death has been removed. But for the one who is dead in their sin, death is an all-consuming enemy. And for us, the greatest reward is to see God glorified and in His glory. But for the world, the greatest reward is health, wealth, and prosperity. And so the world is going to answer these questions differently than we do. May the Lord grant us wisdom so that we might know how to walk in this world. Brothers and sisters, here is the principle. Do not be reckless with your own life, but neither should you be driven by fear. Not only does the Sixth Commandment require us to endeavor to preserve our own life, it also requires us to endeavor to preserve the lives of others. You know, about a year ago, we were told 
that there was an epidemic sweeping across our land and a pandemic sweeping across our world. Our leaders, and here I'm referring to uh, our leaders in, in the government, warned us that if we did not quarantine, our hospitals would be overrun and thousands upon thousands would perish. I know you remember all of this. It's not distant history, right? I even remember our president then saying, we will see casualties like we haven't seen since World War II if we do not take action. The call was to lock down for a brief time in order to flatten the curve. And what did we do as a congregation? We complied. We refrained from assembling for corporate worship for five weeks. You know, taking into consideration what we knew at the time, I would do the same thing again. I do believe that the Sixth Commandment should lead us in that direction. And I do believe that the preservation of life does trump the ceremonial observance of the Sabbath day. I think we should remember what Christ said about Sabbath observance. Which of you, having a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And so, there the preservation of life, even the life of an ox, does take precedent over the ceremonial. Now, I'm not going to rehearse everything that has transpired over the last year with the so-called pandemic, nor will I do a play-by-play for you as it pertains to our decision-making process But the point that I am making here is that the command, you shall not murder, does not only forbid unjust killing, it also requires us to think about the preservation of life. And again, here is that phrase, this can get tricky. This requires wisdom. We have to ask the question of of risk and reward. It, It comes into play. I suppose if we were to push this principle of the preservation of life too far, we would never leave our homes. Certainly we would never assemble. When we leave our homes, we take a risk. We might get into a car accident and be killed, or we might kill another. And when we assemble, we shake hands with one another. We we look into one another's eyes. We sing together and greet one another with a holy kiss, metaphorically speaking. What happens when we do that? Germs are spread around, aren't they? And there is always the risk, there always has been and there always will be the risk that someone will get really, really sick and even perish. Not to mention the fact that when we uh, commute to church in our automobiles, they emit these gases that warm the earth and lead to natural disasters, famine, death and destruction or or so some people say. What I'm trying to do here is to open your eyes to how this principle that we are to take every effort to preserve the life of others, how that can be pushed very, very far. And all of a sudden, people can be driven to live in complete isolation uh, from one another, all in the name of love and safety. And so we have to act with wisdom, brothers and sisters. The principle is true. How we apply it is is another question. Brothers and sisters, this principle that we have a moral obligation to preserve our own life and the lives of others can be misused and abused. In fact, I fear it can be used as a weapon against God's people to keep them from doing what God has called them to do. This past year has been very interesting, hasn't it? I fear the future might be interesting too. Uh, but we need, to know, we need to know God's law. And we need to apply God's law with great care and with great wisdom. 
What is required in the Sixth Commandment? Well, the Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. Clearly this is true. Lord, give us the wisdom to keep this commandment as we live in this world, as we live in our families, and as we go about our business even as a church, all to the glory of the Triune God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, you know this to be true, for you know all things. It is sometimes very difficult for us to keep your law as we sojourn in this world. It is difficult for us because of the corruptions that remain within our own hearts and minds. It's difficult because of the temptations we face in the world. The enemy is always at work against us. Also, it can be difficult because of the perplexing ethical questions that we face. Not only do we need to know your law and what it means, we need the wisdom to apply it. And so we are asking for wisdom, O Lord. I do pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for myself also that you would keep us from being reckless in our lives, but also keep us from being driven by fear. May we live courageously in this world. May we live lives of faith and of hope because of what Christ has accomplished for us. He has removed the sting of death and for this we are grateful, O Lord. Help us to live in light of these truths. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.